shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it. Here we go. It's another episode of Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. Again, thank you for joining us. You know, a lot of things going on in the news, a lot of crazy things going on in the news, and we're excited to kind of bring you that. But before we go any further, you know what time it is. It is that time to bring in our friend, the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, man. I'm maintaining. Man, you don't sound happy. What's either. going on? You're not your normal, happy, cheerful oh, self. No. I can't do a oh, show man. unless you're happy. Come on, let's go. Oh, man. I'm, I'm overjoyed. I'm, I'm high on life right now. You are frolicking uh, through a field like a schoolboy, aren't you? That's right. Skipping, skipping gaily through an alpine meadow of wildflowers with the sun on my face and the wind at my back. That um, is such, such was, the vision. Such the vision. It was kind of, kind of a, a weekend of, of uh, conflict and turmoil, but it's all, it's resolved now. And uh, oh no, anything I, that I makes good, ra- anything that makes good radio. No, no, nothing that, n- nothing that makes good radio. Damn. But uh, I'm a. Uh, I'm taking a little hiatus from Facebook for for a little while. I'm, oh, really? You get a lot of, of uh, get a lot of yeah, a lot of trouble there. Does not you? bring out the best in me, so I'm I'm stepping away from Facebook interaction for a little while. And, That's and disappointing. Devoting times to uh, devote that time to uh, to other things. Because so. a lot of times I'll sit at home and be like, uh, my wife will be like, "What's on TV? Nothing." I'm going to go see what Kelly's doing on Facebook. So we sit there and we make the night of it. Well. I hate to I hate to, to oh. deprive her, and I'll probably be back on at some point. But uh, I'm I'm going to quit spending my time, you know, three four hours a day on Facebook. I think I'm going to have to start not, talking not to her now, just because of that. Now I got to start talking to her. Jesus, well, see, that's, that's the thing. I, I quit Facebook so I could start talking. To oh, her okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into some news. You want to hit let's us with the first it. one? Yeah, we got a story out of Hillsborough, Oregon. Uh, where the, uh, the spouse of uh, Stephen Ricks, age 66, brought a $4.2 million lawsuit against the fire department there. It said it took firefighters 14 minutes to get their defibrillator to work. Uh, as a result, she, she allegedly died uh, nine days later, and, and she's looking for $4.2 million in damages. story, as, as uh, news stories on EMS tend to be, is, is uh, long on innuendo and, and uh, supposition and, and painfully short on facts. But uh, her contention is that it took the firefighters, uh, they could not get their defibrillator to work, and that is the reason he was not successfully resuscitated. My opinion on it is, is that uh, it's probably more likely that they got uh, no shock advisories uh, on the AED, uh, and they kept on working. Um, and if you read the article, it actually says that uh, they tried six different attempts over 12 minutes to deliver a shock, and they could not get their defibrillator to work. To me, that suspiciously sounds like two minutes of uninterrupted chest compressions, an analysis sequence, a no-shock advised, and two more minutes of uninterrupted chest compressions. It works out. The timing works out perfectly. But apparently another uh, another crew got on scene, and, and uh, they did not use their defibrillator. They, they continued to work with the original AED that was in place, uh, and the patient then went into a shockable rhythm. They were able to get him back, but he died, uh, died uh, nine days later, so... If it is uh, uh, the, the allegations are true that uh, the defibrillator was was malfunctioning, then you know uh, uh, the fire department of Hillsborough's got a big check to write. Right. You know, I think it's it's, it's more a demonstration of uh, you, you can't place any uh, faith in in stories about medical care 
uh, that you read in the news because uh, the reporters are monumentally uninformed. Yeah, and I, you know, back in the old days, you know, this, these were challenging, man. These were hard, yeah. hard things that came up, and you know, we had to go ahead and do our due diligence into making sure that there was nothing wrong with the monitor. But nowadays, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I mean, these things are going to know, these things are smarter than uh, ever, and they're going to tell us exactly. exactly what happened. You know, all they need to do is get inside those works and crack them open, you know, because mm-hmm. the vendor's got something to say about this. You know, the vendor's yeah. on the hook for this as well. I mean, he's got a he's got a machine that's supposed to work over X amount of years, and if it fails, if there's a fatal failure, th- they're responsible for that. So these machines are, are very, very capable now of saying he was not in yeah. a shock of a rhythm, you know, it was a bad battery issue it was a connect because you know i've been on a scene before where there was a shockable rhythm and i couldn't deliver the shock and you know they said it was user error i was using the monitor the same way years and years and years uh but i just couldn't get the shock delivered and uh the monitor was fine so but something happened in that time frame and we didn't know what it was but th- this is something that i think happens more often than is being reported but i think they're yeah. going to be able to get to the bottom of it and another point that can be made is that most modern aeds and defibrillators especially AEDs, do a self-diagnostic check every 24 hours. They self-test daily, and when you turn the machine on, it does an internal self-test to make sure that it's in in operating form. That's the reason they tell you to sit the AED down and to turn the device on immediately is to, to, you know, utilize that that few-second lag when it's performing its internal self-check. You can be doing other things, so turn it on immediately. So. You know, I think this is probably going to wind up being an issue of the wife did not understand that the machine was not working. She probably watched too much television over the years and and has unrealistic expectations of uh, the chances of a successful resuscitation. My story is going to go to Hammond, Indiana. EMT sues ambulance company for not paying overtime. It's a federal suit that claims more than 100 EMTs and may provide an option for them to opt into this suit. It was really, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, you get into this whole thing about lunch and you get into this whole thing about 12 hours. But it looks like there was some crazy policies going on there. There's a company policies that required uh, folks to work as much as 10 hours per week off the clock. Uh, for at least three years while ex- inspecting, stocking, or otherwise readying the ambulance for calls. They used a time clock with a snap function that automatically rounded the time up or down. You know, the, these are violations. The, these are clear-cut mm-hmm. violations of of employment law. And you yeah, can't, the Fair Labor Standards Act is, is being violated wholesale. Exactly. I mean, you can't ask an employee to do work without compensating period end of story yeah so if you tell them to come in they can punch in seven minutes before the hour or or 15 minutes before the hour or they can't punch in until seven o'clock the expectation is they cannot do work unless you are compensating them now i've been there i've come in a little bit early and i've started to check my truck out keeping an eye on the clock and when it was punch in time i went ahead and punched in but do you know Mm -hmm. I, i was told to stop doing that only for that reason of we cannot compensate you for doing that. Well, I don't expect compensation, but it's yeah. still the point of they can be held liable for me working before the clock started. And I found this because yeah. uh, I think this one is a big misconception in our career field right now. You know, I've I've had coworkers who would would milk it. You know, and and they were they were the one person in a hundred who couldn't get their their charting done while they were on duty. So uh, they came up and and did it off duty. Uh, and spend hours at the station and claim it as overtime. Um, but uh, 
you know, management eventually put a put an end to that sort of thing because you know that she these people were uh, abusing the uh, abusing the privilege. But I, I think it's still uh, we tend to forget, uh, especially I'm, I'm in a good work situation. I work for one of these big soulless soulless companies. It's all about the bottom line, according to people that don't work there or people that used to work there but got fired. But they pay a living wage. They expect you. There's no expectation that you work for free or that you give them freebies. And they take good care of you and give you good equipment to work with. But working for a place like that, I, I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of it, is we lose sight. That there's still a bunch of predatory EMS agencies out there, uh, ambulance companies, that still rely on, on intimidation and, and uh, ignorance on the part of their, their crews to cut labor costs and, and uh, to help their bottom line. You know, the Houston and Dallas markets are, are slam full of companies like that, that, that are, are, you know, blatant dialysis fraud outfits that, uh, that rely on, uh, on, they prey on new EMTs directly out of school who are either too ignorant or too scared in fear of their jobs to say anything about it. And this is the kind of crap that they pull. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that the, uh, hundred employees who were built, uh, uh, for, um, prop, you know, if, if prop medical transportation, uh, out of Hammond is, is actually guilty of this, then I hope these people get the, the money they deserve. And, uh, these people get whacked on the PV pretty hard, um, and, and punished for, uh, for violating the Fair Labor Standards Act. Yeah. And, uh, again, you know, this is just thing, you know, we're, we're in the profession. So, you know, people are going to give you a service. You've got to give them the money for that service. But what do you got for us next? Exactly. We got a, uh, couple of, couple of stories, uh, interrelated stories. St. Charles, Missouri, ambulances there in, in St. Charles are, uh, they're, they're fielding a new ambulance with forward-facing attendant seats with a uh, provider harness uh, and, and touting that as a, as a safety measure. And I really think, you know, in, in, in the near future, we're going to start to see a, a fairly uh, wholesale shift in crew module design uh, for that specific purpose. You know, we know We've known for quite some time that we needed more stringent manufacturing and, and structural standards for ambulance module, and we know the risk of, of being an unsecured occupant in the back of a moving ambulance, and that current restraint systems, even just lap and shoulder belts, are designed for forward or rear-facing seats, and when you're turned sideways in a seat, they're effective, extremely limited. And uh, St. Charles has, has bought ambulances with these uh, uh designed with these forward-facing seats so uh, when the vehicle's in motion, they can be restrained in place and still be able to access the patient and render patient care, and they don't have to get up. And uh, You look at the uh, the video in the attached article and the photos, they've got a, a little uh, uh, a rack of uh, equipment drawers where the, the, the medic doesn't have to, have to get up and just reach in front of them and, and get stuff uh, without having to unbuckle and get out of the seat. And in a, in a related related issue, there's uh, NHTSA is now offering a free webinar on ambulance design and safety standards to help agencies uh, start changing their, their paradigm on ambulance design and, and uh, safety in, in the design of these rigs. I think it changes long since overdue. Oh, man, long. I mean, you talk about EMS, you know, being 50 years old, and, and we're still talking about it. But there are some great things that are on the horizon. There are great things that are out there, but it's good that finally... Uh, you know, folks are taking the safety of the folks in the back of the ambulances to heart, and uh, we yeah. need to keep people safe. There are there are more stringent laws for transport of cattle 
than there are for human beings in the back of an ambulance. You've said uh, that before. Is that, that true? Yes, yes, that's true. Come on, you know, you read, you read order, uh, you read uh, uh, legislation on transport and regulations on transport of livestock and, and how they need to be secured in trailers and so on and so forth, and structural standards of, of the, the stock trailers they're supposed to be transported in, and, it, and really? it's, it's often more rigorous than than how patients and and crew members should be belted in the back of an ambulance. Let me ask you and, a question. Stop. Priorities there. Let me ask you a question here. Sure. Do you peruse a lot of these livestock references when you got time off? I mean, wh- wh- where do you come up with these things? I mean, do I peruse them? Well, you know, I'm a animal husbandry aficionado. Oh, okay, I, I see. So it's, it is a hobby. It is being a, a redneck. I see. It is a hobby. Okay, <laughs> let me go ahead and hit you with our last story. And we talked a little bit about this last week. This one really got my. Uh, there's two great ones this week, but this one is what the start is going to be. Florida man high on flaca has sex with a tree and fights with police. The man ran naked through the neighborhood, ripped taser probes from his skin, punched a cop during his arrest, and, of course, uh, gets a little friendly with the tree. Now, this has got to be the ultimate Woody joke right here. I mean, I have no idea even where to go with this, but, you know, we talked about the synthetic drugs last week, and uh, it looks like they're making people do crazy things down there in Florida. Yeah, you know, well, I don't know if it's just uh, the flocker or if that's just crazy, crazy things going on in Florida. Wasn't the uh, the bath salts uh, guy that supposedly ate somebody's face off? Wasn't that in Florida as well? Yeah, you're right. It was in Miami. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a maybe it's a Florida thing. I know. I don't want to offend our, our listeners from Florida. I just want to say that you know what has the world come to? Where a guy minding his own business, making love to his favorite tree, gets hassled by the man. <laughs> Why? You know. You know. I gotta you say this to you. you know, Jesus, man! I mean, now I got a pretty big are. ego. I got a pretty big ego, but never in my life did I ever think I could satisfy a tree. I got to tell you, that just ne- I, I just don't think well, I could do it. And then there's the whole splinter issue and and <clears throat> sap and oh, stop, stop, stop! This is going, go this off. is going south fast. Go south. There's there's a punchline begging to be made here. There is uh, from from the old joke, and it's Mongo check for bees first. That's right. <laughs> Awesome, good one. But man, if if there's a drug that'll make you run naked through the neighborhood, fornicate with a tree, and try to stab a cop with his own bag, this is probably not the drug for you. Uh, maybe you ought to go back to something you know safe like weed. That's right. The only people you endanger is a bag of Cheetos. That's right. Uh, maybe maybe if you're lucky, you'd eat the bark from the tree, but you wouldn't have uh, relations right. with it. But one final news story. Let's, All right, let's go ahead. Just, do uh, it. A follow up follow-up on one. We, we talked some time back uh, about uh, Curtis Ambulance in, Ambulance in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was, uh, was uh, had some allegations that they rendered improper care and, and were, were being investigated for uh, um, improper care at the death of a kickboxer at an event there. It was alleged that, uh, you know, Curtis Ambulance didn't meet uh, all the qualifications for EMS coverage of the event, and they did several things wrong. Well, there's been there's been further movement on, on that issue. The local government censured uh, or wrote a, a letter of reprimand for the ambulance company uh, and cited them for lack of a for not filing a special event plan. But they did acknowledge that the uh, the Curtis uh, ambulance paramedics rendered appropriate care to the patient, and uh, they they did all the things that they should have done. Probably the biggest thing is issue uh, at issue is is where they took the patient and how quickly they called for help from Milwaukee Fire Department. But at least 
I think it's we need to take the opportunity to say that at least the care that the paramedics rendered that was being questioned early on, you know, they've now acknowledged that that care was appropriate. Uh, there's still some, you know, debate on on whether they uh, follow the local protocols uh, in choice of transport destination. They should have taken the patient, according to the local officials, they should have taken the patient to uh, Fredert, I think it's called, uh, Greg Freese, ridiculed my pronunciation of it, but the local level one trauma center. You know, it looks like they, they render proper care and good for them. I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's the case. And they just, they, they got in a little trouble for not filing the proper paperwork and they're still disputing that. But uh, at least we can, we can satisfy ourselves that the, the medics did the right thing for the patient. Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the things I think is important that when we talk about news stories, if there's ever a, a, anything that comes out that, you know, brings to light or, uh, you know, changes anything that we've said, we're going to always come back and we're going to talk about it. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up, Kelly, because that was really a you good know, one. We, yeah, we, we offer commentary on, on news as they appear. Um, but, you know, and I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm a commentator, but... But uh, if if something changes about a story that either either uh, confirms or disproves our, our commentary, we're going to revisit the issue and, and be fair to the to the people we were talking about. Absolutely, I'm glad absolutely. That the uh, the Curtis uh, ambulance paramedics were at least exonerated in the care that they provided. And, uh, good for them. So Kelly, before we go into a clinical issue, I want to ask you just your opinions. And I was very, very shocked to know that we were just at 20 years from the Oklahoma City bombing. And yeah. it was something that was, you know, and I thought when I heard that this was coming up 20 years ago, this was really the catalyst, I think, for the start of the bombings of buildings, even though uh, Timothy McVeigh wasn't, uh, you know, from outside the United States. But, you know, a couple years after is when the terrorists put the, the van bomb into the World Trade Center, and then subsequently a couple years later is 911 happened. But I, I just mm-hmm. want your thoughts on 20 years now since the Oklahoma City bombing. And one of the things I had the opportunity to go down there and see the bombing after it happened. I was I, I was going from Boston to Wichita Falls, Texas. So I said, you know what? I've never traveled on a bus before. Let me try that. I'll never try it again. And But we stopped in Oklahoma City, and I had the opportunity to go over and see the bombing site. And mm-hmm. I was amazed by the devastation, as well as the devastation of the buildings around uh, that yeah. building. But, you know, just in remembering of the 20-year uh, of this horrific uh, event... Uh, just share a little bit of your thought. I I remember being at work at Life Care Ambulance uh, and waking up uh, that morning uh, of uh, it was the second day of my shift, and my partner turned on the the television and we watched the, uh, the immediate aftermath of the bombing uh, right there on live television, and uh, watched the the nurses and the other medical responders who were there uh, frantically running from the scene when. Uh, when they were told there was a secondary device and, and that uh, they were, you know, they were in danger. Um, and, uh, you know, the survivor guilt hit me really hard. Um, I don't know if survivor guilt's the, the, uh, the correct term for it, but what really struck me was, is, you know, damn it, I ought to be there. I'll, you know, I said, God, these people need some help up there. Um, wonder how quick I could get to Oklahoma City. <laughs> I think that's an effort response to most. EMS and public safety professionals when they see that sort of thing is, uh, you know, our, our urge to help uh, kicks into high gear 
but the thing that's driven home to me over over the last 20 years is that you know evil does not have a particular face or ethnic origin or anything else you know timothy mcveigh was as white bread and and middle america as could possibly be he didn't look evil he looked like one of us he was you know the man was a soldier at one point he was serving serving our our country's military and for whatever reason he went off the rails and thought that killing 168 innocent people was an acceptable response to his grievances with the U.S. government, you know, I mean, he had issues with the way, you know, the government and the ATF handled the the Waco Branch Davidian compound thing, and, and uh, you know, I think a whole lot of Americans did, and, and we that was really botched, and and uh, but I don't think it's necessary. It was Ruby, uh, it was Ruby Ridge too, wasn't it? Have something Ruby to do with Ridge, Ruby Ridge before yeah, that, yeah. you know, when Juan Horiuchi, you know, shoots the woman holding a baby. And and still expresses no remorse over that. Uh, that's a that's a hot button issue for me that I'll I'll just leave alone for right now. But I think the man got away with legally sanctioned murder. And and then on top of it, you know, to save a bunch of kids at the Branch of Idiot compound, you know, they had to burn them alive. I, I think there's something really really wrong with the government's response. But I'm not going to go up above the building, you know, and and. You re- if you remember at the time, what was the major speculation? This was an outside terrorist event. They were looking for, you know, Islamic people as their persons of interest, and, and that's who they were looking for early on. It turned out one of us. It was a domestic terrorist. Right. And Hemingway said that all evil starts as innocence, and that's probably that. You know, I agree with that. You know, the the bitterest of people are are disillusioned idealists, and and and. It, McVeigh's case, you know, it it led to a, a horrific act, and um, I think we're going to continue to see that thing, Chris. I don't I don't think we will ever get rid of or be able to effectively shield ourselves from those people in society. I think freedom is an ugly, messy thing sometimes, but it's well worth it. And unless we want to transform our country into something that we don't love and don't recognize as being free anymore, that's the price we're going to have to pay. Right. Sometimes evil people will slip through the cracks and horrific things will be done, but it's far better than the alternative where we're happy, safe, and effectively in a prison of our own making. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and transition and go to our clinical issue. You know, it was it, I love watching the shows. David Letterman's my favorite, and of course he's going to go off the air soon. And recently Jimmy Kimmel did a bit. He presented his Uberlands after reports that Uber is faster than an ambulance. And our editor-in-chief, Greg Freeze, on April 20th, he went ahead and wrote an article on seven community health care services Uber drivers could deliver with faster response times and a growing list of drivers that have delivered babies. Uber is ready to take on the additional health care challenges. And, you know, it's just ironic that it's kind of said tongue-in-cheek, but is this really now the start of something that could be, uh, you know, challenged? I got to tell you, Uber is a—it's a pretty neat service. It's a very expensive service, I think. You know, but some of the things that Greg brings up in this article is to integrate the Pulse Point app using the Uber app, give every driver an AED and CPR anytime course, medication delivery, com- 
compliance mm-hmm. checks, non-emergent transport of uninjured minors. I mean, so what do you think about all this? Is this just a, uh, you know, a tongue-in-cheek thing, or is this something that, uh, you know, Uber is going to wind up taking a, a stand on? I got to tell you, I, I don't think a lot of these people are in the care business as much as they are in the transportation business. Uh, we're more in the transportation business than it is the care business, too, I guess. But, you know, this seems well, just kind of... according to the reimbursement schedule, we are. That's right. <laughs> but it seems to be an interesting thought, um, but uh, I think it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. What do you think? Uh, I think it is tongue-in-cheek, but but there is a, there's a larger uh, movement afoot here, and I think the uh, Greg's article is indicative of that. You know, I think it's time that we... Uh, uh, we're in in greater numbers. We're starting to acknowledge the limitations of uh, EMS systems to be able to provide care. Uh, not so much to provide care, but to live up to the expectations that we ourselves have fostered. We have spent a couple of generations now telling people to call nine one one for the most trivial things, and now that they are calling nine one one for the most trivial things, we cannot meet the demands that we have. Uh, of society, and we, we we've been responsible for fostering that expectation. And now the pendulum is swinging the other way. We realize we can't do this, and we're talking. We're looking at things like crowdsourcing emergency medical care. You know, he he talks about these these uh um the Pulse Point app and and AE, uh, giving drivers AED and CPR anytime courses. You know, I think, you know, that that's taking it to a, well, I don't know if it's taking it to an extreme, but it's it's uh, it's taking it a, another uh, step logically from plain old citizen CPR and uh, public access to fibrillation. You know, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to advocate those sort of things and do uh, empower communities with, with, you know, strong community CPR and, and public access to fibrillation programs, why not take it a step further, you know, and, and put more public employees with uh, these AEDs training, you know, to work? I think it's, I don't know that it's a bad thing. I, I think it's, you know, uh, as a society, we need to start taking more responsibility for our own damn health and not expecting someone else to pick up the pieces and everything to be all right after we've advocated our responsibility to be healthy right you know and 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 i think this is this is yet another one of those things look at all the systems that have the strongest uh, or the best numbers uh, on cardiac arrest survival rates and and uh, for pre-hospital care seattle kings county medic one you know uh, wake county and and Boston and, and places like this that have cardiac arrest survival numbers in the 40 and 50 percent range, uh, at least for witness to be fib arrest, those numbers are massaged. What's the common feature of all of them? It's not that their medics are superhuman, although some of them probably believe themselves to be. It's that, that they have all of the links of the chain of survival, including the first two, which are most important. Right. You know, early notification, early CPR, early defibrillation, all the layperson interventions. And and I think if we you know if we empower more lay people to uh, to render care, um, that's going to ultimately result in, in better delivery of EMS. Yeah, and I think that there's a couple of things to think about, and uh, you know I think you're absolutely right. You know one of the things that we forget too is when we talk about good return of spontaneous circulation is we got to throw the folks up there in St. Paul, Minnesota. I mean they're averaging about fifty two percent, 
And, yeah. uh, of course, King County uh, really sets the standard since 1977 with their return of spontaneous circulation and the work that they do up there. So kudos to those systems for uh, really setting the standards for others to follow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's a lot of challenges with this, though. I think we're going to see in the future a lot of the community paramedics doing this kind of work. But my thought right away is who's paying for the service? You know, who, who's paying for somebody to bring an AED in and, uh, you know, do CPR and shock somebody mm-hmm. back into, you know, who's paying for the, look, go ahead and bring my medication to me or compliance checks or who's paying for the intoxicated patient that's going home. And, and I think that, or even the, another one that he, he brings up here is that the uh, patient that's going home from the hospital. I think this is, again, one of the challenges that we have in the career field is that we use the most expensive mode of transport to take someone to the most expensive mode of treatment when they necessarily don't need it. We've got people in Suburbans. we got people in town cars. we got people in Cadillacs. we got people in... I don't think that this is ever going to be an answer. I think it's, it's, it's fun. I think it's tongue-in-cheek. I think that it opens up some interesting possibilities, but the funding source is going to be the big issue because no one's going to yeah. be able to pay these bills. And and oh, yeah, I and think there, I think there's some some element of. Let me throw this one in on. one more. Let me throw this last one in. Very quickly, this service will get overrun and they will not have capacity. You think so? Most certainly. Come on, you, you think that if you can make a call to somebody and say deliver my medicine, go. I need someone to pick up my medicine. Uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, people are going to yeah. take advantage of that. I mean, imagine if we could say, uh, you know, whatever it is. You know, I was going to say bring me pizza, but we abused the heck out of that too. Well, but yeah, uh, what's the whole? You know, you never know how expensive something is until it's free. Exactly. Uh, and and people. Uh, but think about well, it. We were, I mean, you I think and I, get, but before we started recording, we're we're just joking about the uh, the nine 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 call in in the in England about the uh, the squirrel with the broken neck. You know, but this is what this is what happens when you encourage people to call for just about anything, right. and there's no financial. They have no financial stake in the game, and, and how how uh, responsibly those system uh, those resources are utilized. Right. Um, if they have no financial stake in how uh, uh, responsibly the resources are utilized, they are going to abuse them. Uh, we've we've seen that with uh, with uh, the uninsured and underinsured. Right. Um, that's not to, to pick on them. Sometimes the, they don't have the resources and, and they they gravitate toward the path of least resistance. And unfortunately, that's EMS and, and emergency departments. But I think part of it is is that when you have no no uh, financial stake in, in uh, how it's easy, uh, you have no financial stake in, in uh, the provision of your own health care, then it's real easy to abuse the system. It's very easy to abuse the system. On the other hand, if you have a copay, even if it's a minimal one, sometimes you you know people who pay for their own insurance have to sit down and, and decide: uh, Do I really need to go here and pay the CR copay, or do I need gas this week? Right. Uh, no, you're absolutely right, um, man. You know, and, and uh, thorny issue. I, I think we 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 got a clinical issue, guys. What we'd like to hear what our our listeners think. Do you think crowdsourcing public safety and and EMS care? Uh, like Greg references in his article for the Uber drivers. Do you think that's a, a viable uh, means of providing EMS? Uh, give us your thoughts. Emails at the show at ems1.com. And for co-host Chris Cedillero and myself, I'm Kelly Grayson. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>